Welcome to the Rocky Mountain Christian Church Podcast. Rocky is a community of believers who want to know Jesus and love like Him. Let's take a listen to this week's message. Amen. Man, church, it is, uh, it is good to be together. I think it is a time right now um, that we need to be together. And so I just want to welcome our Frederick campus that's joining us live today. Uh, all of you that are online, it's great to see you. And everybody in the room, man, it's just good to see all of us today. I, I was talking to a staff member this last week. It was on Thursday. We all know what happened on Wednesday. And she showed me a social media post that I think captured, captured everything. Um, I would say it has a little humor to it, so, so be prepared. But it said, I am formally requesting my subscription to 2021 be canceled. I've tried your seven-day free trial, and I'm not impressed. Um, and I don't... Man, if we just, on a serious note, if we just address the topic of this last week, I don't think any of us were impressed. No matter where you sit, no matter what your opinions are, I don't think any of us were impressed with this last week. I think we were deeply grieved, um, probably with what we saw that happened on Wednesday and then just the things that have transpired and just where we are. And it seems like it's been a whole year. We thought 2021 would just flip things over and it has not flipped things over. It's just reminded us that we live in a broken world. And even in a country, a free country that we love and we have the ability to come and worship, we live in a broken place. And I think we just need to be reminded that no matter which side of the aisle that you're on, it is obvious that there's no peace in politics. There's only peace in the person and in the power of Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen on that? We believe that, right? I, I don't know if you've had an opportunity to process, but actually that statement right there came from some processing with good friend of mine and mentor, and then also been able to talk to some other pastors and that. But that's kind of why we come together, is to process and to look at life and to encourage one another and to be together. And even last, this last year in 2020, we were kind of isolated. We were pushed away from each other a bit. And we're going to talk about that a little bit later today. But man, we have the opportunity to come together, whether you're coming together online or right here in the room, just to be able to process and say, God, what, what do you do with all of this? And one of the verses that's been on my mind over the last few months, actually, is Isaiah chapter 23, verse 6. It says, you will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. And I think we just need to remember that no matter what we see on the news, no matter what we see that's happening in our world today, man, the purpose of Christ, the plan of Christ always prevails, and we can have peace in him if we keep our minds steadfast on him. So I know we've already prayed at both campuses, but I just ask us all just to bow our heads and let's pray and just ask God to be, bring peace to our nation, but also bring peace in our lives too. Father, we just want to lift up this moment in time to you. And, and I realize we talk about things we see on the news, but I realize there's many people, there are many people who are tuning in today that feel a lack of peace in their own life. Maybe it's because of what they're seeing, circumstances around us, or maybe it's circumstances in their own lives. Father, bring peace to us Keep our minds and our eyes steadfast on you and keep us encouraged that your plan will prevail. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. Hey, I, I am excited to be with you guys. I, I think, you know, 2021, I said it last week. I even said at the beginning, I was like, 2021 is gonna be the best year. Wednesday, I wondered. <laughs> I have to be honest. But I do think it's really a matter of perspective for us. And we started this new series, it's called Just Okay Is Not Okay. And, and we talked a little bit about this, this idea that I think 2020 kind of outed us in some areas. You probably feel it. There's some areas in your life where you just realized, I realized this. There's some areas in my life where I realized that I'm just kind of okay. Like maybe it was relationally for you, maybe it was spiritually or physically or financially. Maybe whatever it was, we kind of realized, man, 2020 just showed us we're just okay in some areas. And I don't think any of us 
want to be satisfied with just okay in our life. Now, you may recognize the tagline, just okay is not okay, famous AT&T commercials. If you've not seen those, here's my favorite one. Check it out. Have you ever worked with Dr. Francis? Oh yeah, he's okay. Just okay? Guess who just got reinstated? Well, not officially. Nervous? Yeah. Me too. Yeah, me too. Don't worry about it, we'll figure it out. I'll see you in there. Just okay is not okay. That's right. Just okay is not okay. I, I, I do have to laugh at that one line where he's like, nervous? This guy, yeah, me too. Me too. A great line right there. But I think the whole thing is we look at life and we're like, I'm not okay with okay. And you look relationally, you look spiritually, physically, financially. I think all of us would say, man, life could be a little bit better. And when you look at Jesus, you look at God, God never designed for his followers just to experience okay in their life. He looks at your marriage, he looks at your spirituality, he looks at your peace, he looks at your finances, he looks at all these different areas of your life. He says, I've got something better planned for you. And if you'll just lean in, I will help you experience something better. Now, last week we just dove in and we said, hey, the first thing you wanna do in 2021, if you wanna have more than okay, you need to lean into pursuing Jesus, a relationship with him. Matt Cody gave a, an incredible quote from C.S. Lewis. He said, put first things first, and you'll get first and second things. Put second things first, and you will lose first and second things. And investing in your relationship with Jesus is the first thing that we must do in 2021 to see anything better than we saw this last year. But it's interesting, God goes on from that. Because in scripture, he always talks about a relationship and a connection with his people, but then there is this, there's this uh, vertical connection with God, but then there's this horizontal connection with God's people. Where God says, here's what we were created for. We were created for connection, connection with God, but then also connection with his people because God says you will never experience more than just okay if you do not have people walking with you, holding up your arms, pushing you forward, showing you the way, directing you, encouraging you, lifting you up and helping you get there. Here's the thing. We're going to talk about isolation today. I think we experienced some of that this last year. We were created for connection, but here's the thing we naturally drift toward isolation. When I was in middle school, I lived in Southern California. We lived in this town called Canoga Park. It was about 30 minutes from the beach. Some of you have heard me tell this story before, but the first time I went to the ocean, we went with a bunch of friends. It was in the middle of summer. We went to this beach, some of you may recognize if you were from there, um, called Zuma Beach. It was near the Malibu area, but it was the public beach where like everyone went there. And so we show up this day and we've got some family and friends with us and we're hanging out. We got our towels. We go out literally on the beach. That day was a beautiful day. There were thousands of people. I mean, like you stepped eight feet this way and there's another towel with another group of people on it. I mean, you had to know right where you were going to be if you got out of that water and come back to see your family. And so I was a good swimmer. I'd grown up with a pool and so I, I just was around water all the time. And so my parents would just kind of let me go and they said, hey, be back by lunch. So I went out with one of my buddies, I start swimming, and it was the first time I'd really swam in the ocean. And so I'm just having a blast. We got our boogie boards, we're doing all kinds of stuff, we're having a great time. And I go literally from like nine in the morning till noon, it's lunchtime, and I look at my buddy, I'm like, hey, it's time to go back. And I look at the beach, and I see thousands of people. But I look where my parents were, and where we had set up our camp, we had our coolers and our towels and all of that, and they're not there. I'm like, it was right there. I know they were right there. We walk up, we walk through the crowd, we walk around, we figure out they're not here and you know what happened. You see, riptide doesn't just pull you out. What does it do? 
it causes you to drift down. I had drifted almost a mile down the beach away from my family. My dad finally found me about an hour later, and he's like, you keep your eyes on that life-saving station, and you won't lose us. you got to keep your eyes on something. Here's what happens, spiritually speaking, for us. If we do not keep our eyes set on connecting with God and connecting with his people, what we naturally will do is we will drift toward isolation in our life. And I think you understand this. Like last year, we had some excuses for isolation because we were forced into it. There were quarantines, there's a virus, there's all of those things. No matter what you think about that, it was a reality of our life. But in normal life, we still drift toward isolation. We think we're connected by social media, but what we're connected is through a screen and not face-to-face, and we drift toward isolation. We have excuses of busyness. And we, live, we are more busy in this culture. I laugh when I talk to retired people because before they retire, they said, man, I'm finally going to get a breath. And then after they retire, they say, man, I'm more busy than I was when I was working. It doesn't matter what your age is. It doesn't matter who you are. We are so busy that what happens is we end up choosing the busyness sometimes to advance our careers Sometimes to work more and make more money, whatever it might be, or just kids and all the craziness out there, and we begin to drift, and all of a sudden we find ourselves and we're not connected. We may be connected to our immediate family, but immediate family isn't enough. We may show up on Sunday mornings, but just showing up on Sunday mornings and sitting in these rows, it's not enough, and all of a sudden we find ourselves because of busyness, or maybe it's because of our own lives, we look at it and we say, I'm an independent person, and I don't know, I, I just kind of... What that's code for is it's easier to do life alone than it actually is to put the work in to do life with other people. And it's true. But you never receive the benefits of someone walking alongside of you and helping you and directing you and pushing you forward. You see, God created us for connection. It's always been that way. Even in the garden, Adam's sitting there and he says, well, it's not good for man to be what? Alone. And he creates woman. And then he goes on and he says, be fruitful and multiply because this place is about connection. Connection with me and connection with others. And that's how we grow. Now, I think some of us are sitting here today and we say, well, I, I think I'm connected. <laughs> and I'd ask you this. If you sat around and you imagined your connection sitting around a table, the people you're closest with, let me ask you this. Are those people actually promoting the lifestyle and the goodness and the life of God in your life and you're beginning to see your life move toward him? Or would you honestly say that some of the people at your table are detracting from that? See, what happens naturally in our life, if if we don't do the work If we don't put the work in to connect with others, what we'll naturally do is we'll naturally drift toward isolation. And we have to fight the drift because okay, it's not okay in our life. I want you to turn to Hebrews chapter 10. If you have your Bibles, Hebrews is way toward the back of your Bible. You can turn to the book of Revelation and flip back just a handful of books and you'll find the book of Hebrews. If you've got your phones or your Bible app, jump on there. But we're going to be in Hebrews 10. It's interesting The book of Hebrews, we don't actually know who wrote the book. And we think it was possibly the Apostle Paul or the missionary Paul. It was the greatest missionary ever and uh, wrote half of the New Testament aside from the book of Hebrews. But the writer of Hebrews doesn't sign his book. He doesn't say who it's from. You see, the author wasn't as important as the message. 
And when the writer of Hebrews gets into his message, what he writes about is this idea. He wrote this letter to a group of very religious people. Like we don't know the author, but we do know the audience. It was people who were very religious, conservative Jews, part of the religion of Judaism. And what the author writes to his message is he's saying to these people, he's saying, you need to understand that Jesus is better. And he goes through a series of things, and he talks about how Jesus is better than religion. He's better than Judaism. Like all the things, the traditions of Judaism, all the rules, all the laws that they had. There were 613 laws that they had to abide by to receive God's approval. And if they messed up on those laws, they had to go back to the priest. And there's all this stuff that they went through. And it began a, became a tradition of works. It was how good you were if you measured up. And what the writer of Hebrews is saying is saying, hey, you need to understand when Jesus came, it's not about measuring up anymore. Jesus measured up for us. Jesus is better than religion. He's better than your tradition. He even says he's better than your great leaders and prophets of old. He's better than Moses. He's better than Elijah. He's better than all these different people. Jesus is better. And you jump in and you begin to see as he talks about Jesus' lifestyle, he says it works. Like if you look around the lifestyle of our world and you see the selfishness of our world, you say, it doesn't work very well. But you look at the lifestyle of Jesus, how he was selfless and he put other people first. And you do that in your marriage, you do that in your relationships, you do that in your connections, your parenting, your finances, your leadership. It's just better. You see, we need to be talking about Jesus more than anything else. Why? Because Jesus is better. And he presents a better lifestyle for us. And when it comes to connection... He presents a much better way. Hebrews chapter 10, starting verse 19, here's what the writer of Hebrews says. It says, therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place, what is that? We'll come back to that. By the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, open for us through the curtain. What does that mean? We'll come back to it. That is his body. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, having our bodies washed with pure water. Okay, so there's all this symbolic language that we, you might sit here today and say, I have no idea what that means. But to these strict Jews that were strictly and deeply a part of Judaism, they totally understood. He's writing to them and he says, he says, this place, this, uh, he says a curtain, and he says the most holy place. You see, in the Old Testament, where they would gather to meet God or where God lived amongst the people was early in the Old Testament, it was a tabernacle. And we know the tabernacle, if you know your Jewish history, it was the tent. When they came out of Egypt, God said, I want to dwell with my people, so make a tent for me. They made this large tent. It was ornate. In the middle of it, you could imagine that tent being God's house. Later on, Solomon built the temple. So the first there was a tent that traveled with God's people when God's people settled in the promised land. Then it became a temple and Solomon built the temple. You can imagine the tabernacle or the temple to be God's house. And in the midst of that house, it calls this place the most holy place. You could call that or just think of that as God's bedroom. It's where he dwelled the most. It's where he would come to dwell with his people. And that bedroom, that area was cordoned off with a curtain. And so God's presence would come into it. It says that smoke would fill the tabernacle and God's presence would come in and the people would see that and, and be in awe. And it says only one person, one time of the year, could go into the most holy place to sacrifice and to meet with God. And that was the high priest. So only one person. 
So that one person, he would go in and they were so fearful because God said, do not allow anyone to come in at any other time during the year. No one, not, not even the high priest at those times, because if you come in, you are defiled by sin, you're not perfect. And in my presence, my glory will overwhelm you and you'll die as a protection thing. So they were so fearful of this that when the priest would go into the most holy of, of holies, the holy place, they would tie a rope around his ankle. He would go inside the curtain. He would do the sacrifice and do some of the, the um, ceremonial things that God asked. And if he stopped moving, the rope stopped moving for a while, they'd like check it to make sure he was still alive. And he'd be like, no, no, I'm, I'm good, right? And he'd meet with the people and he'd come out. And so you got what the writer of Hebrews is doing is he's setting this stage for them to say, remember, everything you did was about achieving goodness. It was about being good enough to be in God's presence. It was about fulfilling all these laws. And when you didn't fulfill them and you broke them and they called them, when they broke those laws, they became unclean. They would have to go to the temple. They would have to bring a sacrifice they would have to have the priest sacrifice over them. They have to wash with water, and then they would be clean again until the next time they broke the rules. And so with all that in mind, listen to what the writer of Hebrews says again. In verse 19, it says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence. You think the Israelite people had confidence to enter the most holy place? No. It says, Therefore, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by what? The blood of Jesus, not the sacrifice of a lamb that they would have to bring to a priest, but the blood of Jesus by a new and living way, open for us through the curtain that is his body. He's talking about the cross. When Jesus went to the cross, he stretched out his arms. Our sins were exchanged. He took our sins for, from us if we believe and place our faith in him. And he gave his righteousness back to us. His body, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that, brings, that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Now, what's he saying? Man, what the writer of Hebrews is saying is that no matter what has happened in your life, if you have placed your faith in Jesus, you can approach God with confidence doesn't matter how bad the things that you have done in the past, no matter how blemished you feel like you might be, no matter how messy you think you are, through the cross of Jesus Christ and you placing your faith in him, being buried in the waters of baptism, participating in his death, burial, and resurrection, through your faith, God says he exchanges your sin with Jesus' righteousness. And when God looks at you, he's able to open that curtain the body of Christ, it's ripped open. If you remember the story, when Jesus was crucified, God, symbolically, God took the curtain that covered the Holy of Holies and he ripped it in half from top to bottom. It's this massive curtain that would have gone clear up to that ceiling and no one could have ripped that in half. And God was saying, no longer do you have to worry about being good enough. Jesus was good enough for you. So he rips it open and he says, come to me. Let all of my fullness let all of my goodness dwell in you if you've placed your faith in Jesus. I would encourage you, if you have not placed your faith in Jesus, if you have not been baptized, I would encourage you to make that decision because that is the first decision. We talked about it last week, put first things first and everything else comes in play. You sit down at the table with Jesus and you allow him to come into your life. He begins to transform things. What the writer of Hebrews is saying is Jesus is better. 
I don't know how many of you have been water skiing, but I am a terrible water skier. I don't know how many of you enjoy water skiing, but I've been a few times. And here's what I know about water skiing is when you get in the water and you put your skis on, you grab onto that rope. And, and what happens with, then is the person, hopefully they're kind, right, up there in, in the boat. And they hit that, they just give it a little acceleration. They push, you hold on, you keep your legs tense, you kind of relax, and you just stand up as that boat pulls you through the water. And once you get up on top of the water, it's amazing. Like, you just think about just how fun it is, and you just get up, and you're just like, wow, this is awesome. Now, if you're like me, you've only done it a few times, you crash and burn, and then the boat pulls you back up, and you try, and then every once in a while, you hold on too long, you lean forward, and you like suck up a whole bunch of water. You all know that feeling. But here's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. He's saying, Jesus is like that boat. He's better, and you need to understand, as you hold on to that rope, you get up on top of that water, and what Jesus does is just keeps pulling you along. He just gives you a ride of your life. You don't like water skiing, maybe it's being on a tube behind or whatever it is, but he pulls you. But what happens is as soon as you let go of that rope, what happens? You sink. You immediately sink. But what happens, that person comes back around, they pick you up, and they give you another shot. And I think in our lives, what happens so many times is we get in this spot where we, the writer of Hebrews, is writing to people, these people, some of them who hadn't switched from the old religion to Jesus. And so what he's saying to them is he's saying, grab that rope and hold on. And then some of them he's saying to them is, hey, you accepted Jesus and you stepped up in your faith and you're on top of that water, but you keep letting go of the rope. You need to grab onto that rope and hold on and allow Jesus just to give you a ride that is beautiful and wonderful. And many of these people, what they were doing is they were going back to the old ways of trying to work their way into the kingdom. Being so religious that they weren't reminded that it was all about Jesus being better and being connected to him. And here's what happens in our life. What happens in our life is there are many times, for many of you, you have jumped in full bore and you jumped in with Jesus, but over time, what happens is you let go of that rope and you sink. Or what happens is the craziness of our life, we begin to unknowingly drift away from Jesus and back toward religion. Drift away from Jesus and back toward busyness. Drift away from Jesus and begin to isolate ourselves and only think about our careers or only think about these other things, and we begin to sink without even knowing it. And what's interesting to me is Paul dives in and he says, here, here is the remedy for that. And the remedy for that, understand, is not just Jesus himself. Because what we tend to drift from is Jesus. He's not the remedy for that. The remedy is something else. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23, he gives it. He says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess, for he who promised is faithful. In Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, here it is. He says, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as we see the day approaching. Let me read it again. He says, here's the remedy, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Did you catch what this is? He said, first things first is the vertical relationship with Jesus. 
the next thing that comes in to keep you connected to him is each other. It's the horizontal connection with other believers. And here's the interesting thing about the early church. The early church was the one religion that came in that was focused upon God, but then it was built upon the gathering of his people. Like the connecting together of his people. And you hear in that verse, it says, consider how you may spur one another on, how you may connect with each other and push each other forward toward love and good deeds. And then it says this, it says, do not give up what? Meeting together. And if you step back into just that idea of meeting, you think about us every week. What do we have? We have a weekly gathering. If you go back into the early church, the early church grew. And if you, there is something to this because the early church was built on the connection of believers. They would gather on the first day of the week. It says in Solomon's colonnade, a part of the temple, they would gather on the first day of the week. They would celebrate the Lord's Supper. They would recognize the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. They would gather together and sing hymns, and they would gather, and they would connect with each other. But then it says that they would go out from there, and the gathering was never meant to be a once-a-week opportunity for people. And so what it says, it says they met daily. You go into the book of Acts, and it says in Acts 2, and it says in Acts 4, and it continues to go on. It says that they gathered daily where? In homes. And not here, because... Here was the connection. It was the once-a-week connection where the believers came together and they saw the encouragement of the whole community. They sang songs together. They were encouraged because they were a part of something. But what Jesus knew and what the disciples understood is that that's not the way Jesus taught them to totally do their ministry. You see, what Jesus did ministry with and how he did life was with 12 other guys. Where he spent three years with 12 others where he went deep into relationships and connected. And you go into the books that follow the book of Acts that that the writers are writing to the church. And what it simply says is it continues to talk about the gathering that happened in homes. And over the series of years and then centuries, what you see is that the belief in Jesus started with a group of 12 guys. Then it went to 120 believers in Acts chapter 1 and 2. Then it went to two or 3,000 in Acts chapters 2 and 3. Then it went to about 10,000 in Acts chapter 5, 6, and 7. And then, it was, then they were persecuted, and it was spread out into the world. And in a period of three centuries, it became the dominating world religion, which Rome, Constantine, took and made it the national religion of the empire. You see, there's something to that. The gathering of believers on the first day of the week, but it was never meant to just be set in rows and stop there. And in the business of our lifestyle, what many of us do, even though we know that's how Jesus did his ministry, even though we know that's how the early church grew, even though we know that we grow better in circles of people, not in, around tables, not in rows, even though we know all those things to be true, we drift. You see, it's a natural thing in the busyness of our world. We drift. And here's the challenge for us. Did you know? Here's how much we drift. Do you know that in churches across the nation that have small group ministries where you have the opportunity, where they make it easy for you, they make an opportunity for you to connect, only 35% of adults actually participate in a small group. It's the way Jesus did ministry, but most of us aren't even connected. And most of us sit there and we say in our life, just okay, man, it's not okay. But you have to intentionally do the work. And here's what many of you would say. You say, Sean, that's hard. Like, Sean, do you realize, man, it's, it's hard. Like, I'm busy. 
I'm busy. There's so much. It's hard to make the time in my calendar to actually go and invest in community and sign up for a small group and show up the first time. That's difficult. It is hard. Building community is hard, but what's harder? It's a whole lot harder when you find yourself alone in the most difficult times in your life and you don't know who to call. You step back in life, you say, Sean, man, my schedule, I just, or maybe I show up to this group and I don't even know if I like these people. I don't know if these people are going to like me. That's hard. It's hard to walk through the door the first time. You know what's a whole lot harder? What's a whole lot harder is making decisions you regret because you had nobody that knew you well enough to stop you. Or to say that should be different in your life or there's a better way. You see, you're going to end up choosing one or the other. We just naturally end up choosing doing the hard work of connection or we end up drifting toward isolation. And I'm telling you, one is a whole lot better. And the work of connection is always better. It always produces something different and better in your life. I've been very open with this group of people. If you've listened to me over the last couple of years, I have said that one of the things that I have worked on in my life over the last couple of years is not just connection, but it's community. Because in doing the work of God, I became isolated from deeper relationships that really knew me. It really knew what was going on in my life and how I really felt. And you could even feel it in my family. And I've gone to some counseling for that. I've been very open with some mentors in my life with that, and I've talked to some people, and Alan Algram is interesting, our former lead pastor, one of my greatest friends, has always had this illustration talking about who's really at your table. And over the last couple of years, man, I, I have really worked on that idea because I had naturally drifted toward isolating myself and saying, man, I'm too busy for this, and I'm too busy for that, but I'm, I'm connecting with all of these people. You can be on that beach seeing thousands of people across the beach and still not be with your people. And one of the challenges Alan has given me is, man, who is at your table who's really investing in you? Psalm 23 is one of the most famous chapters in the Bible. And there's an interesting part of that. And you know Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. It goes all the way down to verse five and verse six. And verse five and verse six say this, it says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And I don't know about you, but I just see this picture. I, that verses have captured me, that idea that Alan's given me of the table and I love that idea. Even thinking of 2020 and the last week of, 20, you know, that we've had in 2021, chaos. Psalm 23 says, you prepare a table before me. Where? Not in this nice, comfy little dining room where everything's perfect and awesome. It says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. David is writing this and saying, in the presence of people who have wanted to kill me, you got this table waiting with peace. And I'd say this to all of us. In the presence of chaos in our world, God has this table that he, the first week we talked about, first things first, that Jesus is waiting for us. And he says, I got peace in the midst of all of this. But here's the other thing he says. There's not just two chairs at that table. There's more chairs at that table. In my dining room, there's six chairs at that table. There's one for me. 
There's one for Jesus and there's four other chairs. My wife's definitely there, man. The connection we have and we've worked on and she's supportive and encouraging and we, but there's some other people at that table. Alan's one of them. My dad's one of them. There's a guy named Jack who's our chairman of our elders. He's one of them. And there's a bunch of other people that I look at, my covenant group of pastors from across the nation. They sit at that table. And I look at, there's way more than six seats at this table because I've worked on it for the last two years. And here's the thing. You might say, man, I'm, I don't know if I'm ready to do the work. I don't know if I feel comfortable. The work of connection is so beneficial to your life. Jesus said, this is the way I'll do ministry. This is the way the church will grow. This is what you've got to have. It is always worth the work to connect. And so you look at me and you say, how do I do that? Man, for me, it was getting in a group. I've got a pastor's group. I started a men's group this last year, getting ready to restart another group. And I've got those groups. Got our elders that I meet with. I am surrounded with groups of community. And I look at you and I just ask, are you in a group? We've set our whole church up on a system of saying, we wanna make it easy, we wanna create a pathway. We use that language, a pathway to get you in community. It's just called a group's pathway, like, because that's the point, get in a group. Because these rows are awesome. It's great to come together and worship. It's great to come together and be encouraged. It's great to come together, be a part of something. But to get what you need, you need to get out of that row and you need to get in a circle of people around a table. You need to study the Word of God. You need to be encouraged and have people that will say, that's the wrong decision. People that will say, man, there is a better way. People will say, I am there for you in the deepest difficult times that you have in your life, and they show up. I'd encourage you this week. We have this thing called Rooted. It's a pathway that starts with Rooted. There's three more steps after Rooted. It's a 10-week experience. If you haven't gotten into a small group, it's where you start. You go online, Rocky Dot Church last this week, there'll be an opportunity for you to connect right there. If you go outside in the lobbies of both campus, campuses, there are gonna be people right there with a the rooted sign that say, here's how you sign up. Don't get out of this place. And you're gonna walk out and go, well, I'll do that later. You won't do it later. Do it now. I don't care what's going on with COVID. We've got groups that are meeting in person. We've got groups that are meeting online. You've got the opportunity. Why would you walk out if you know that Jesus is the way Jesus does ministry? This is the way the early church grew. This is what we need. And if you've already gone through rooted, man, how about the good and beautiful God, the next step? How about irresistible, the next step? How about more, the next step? You imagine spending 40 weeks with other people over the next year and a half to two years, where you look at people that you build relationships with and God is building into you, what would happen? Two and a half years later, I'm a better leader, I'm a better dad, I'm a better husband, and I'm a better friend. You need it. Sign up for it. Let's pray. Father God, we have the opportunity, we have the opportunity to come and to join a community like this and to be a part of something that's making a difference in the world that is also making a difference in our lives. But Father, you never set this up for it just to be this. You wanted more for us. You gave the example of more. Jesus, you lived this lifestyle. Father, I know that there's some people sitting here today that they just need you at their table. And I pray that they would let us know. They would make a commitment to you. They would schedule their baptism. Let us help them get you at their table. And then, Father, let us help them get some other people. 
the right kind of people. Father, I pray for the person who has some people sitting at their table that's not pushing them in the right direction. Father, help them to be influential in those relationships, but maybe replace those people at that table with people that are pushing them forward toward the lifestyle you want. Father, I pray that you would provide the connections, you would provide the opportunities, and I pray that we would just simply say yes. Father, I pray that 2021 will be the best year yet for each and every one of us because we, we dive into you and we dive into your community. Father, I pray that it will be the best year yet for our area. Father, I pray that you will allow this church to be influential because we bind together and we use your power to infect the world. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.